for choosing the podcast of LifePoint Church in Ozark, Missouri. LifePoint is a body of believers led by God's Spirit to engage in His redemptive mission in the world. We love Jesus and desire to serve Him by leading people to be real Christ followers in life together. We hope that this message will be a blessing and an encouragement for your life. If you would like more information about LifePoint Church, please visit us on the web at www.lifepointozark.com. Take your Bibles with me and open to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 21 will be in verses 18 to 21 this morning. We'll be talking about a rebellious child. A rebellious child. I want to start out with a story this morning that's a little shocking. I admit that up front, but I want you to stay with me because you'll understand the story as we go into the sermon a number of years ago, shortly after Kristen and I were married, we'd been out to dinner one night with my parents, and we returned to their home in the hometown that I grew up in, and turned on the TV, and immediately the news was shocking my hometown of a young girl who worked at Subway who had been brutally murdered, shot. And in the small town where I come from, something like this was not often the case. And so when the news broke, you could feel the reverberations literally moving through the city. Within an hour that night, my father's phone began to ring off the wall with people calling to tell the even more shocking news that two teenage boys that were members of his church had been arrested for the murder. On that night, a 17 and an 18-year-old young men went to jail for the first and the last time in their entire life. Today, they're coming to a period of their life where they will have spent more time in jail than not as they turn from their mid to late 30s and continue to serve a sentence with no hope of parole. You know, parents don't raise their children to become murderers. But some kids will spend their whole life in prison. What I want to talk about today is I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and I want us to consider how it is that Christians live truth-honoring, gospel-centered missional lives to raise our children to honor their father and their mother? How is it that Christians live as parents to bear God's glory in the world? And this topic is of great importance for LifePoint. Just, uh, just a week ago, it was mentioned at our staff table how many Looming births are on the horizon for us as a church. And I think there's like six or seven that are coming in the next few months. And I reflected that there was one period where we had nine straight like within a month. There was one week about nine or ten months ago where I was at Mercy Hospital six times in five days. 
If you've not been around LifePoint very often, having children is our primary strategy of church growth. We love to have children at LifePoint. As a matter of fact, one of our staff members, a newer staff member, said, man, somebody put something in the water. And I said, dude, there's always been something in the water at LifePoint because that's the way we roll. But as we talk about this topic today, we're talk, talking about parenting rebellious children to honor their mothers and fathers. And I just want to say to you, beware lest you think today's sermon or topic will not apply to you because your child does not outwardly exhibit open rebellion. Let me simply say this, by rebellion I simply mean sin. So that now that everyone's on the same page, and I'll also warn you that if you are without sin in the room, I would exit as expeditiously as possible because it is sure to rub off on you being among a room full of such sinners. I am passionate about this topic, just about parenting, because... I see such a need among our church, and and as parents, we are all standing in need. But parents, we have such a short window of time to invest in our children. And all that they do and all that they become will not ultimately be our responsibilities. But how we lead them now will greatly influence who they will become. We as parents will not always be around our children. We will not always be able to control them like before they're born, um, to help them when our presence is near and to guide them. But there is one who is always with them and you as a parent can train them to follow him. And that's the point of the message today. Go with me to Deuteronomy to a short passage, chapter 21. I'm going to read verses 18 to 21. And this passage has a little bit of a shock factor to it as well. So please, I only request that you stay with me throughout the sermon so that we can understand its impact for our lives today. Verse 18 says, If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, Then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. May God bless the reading, may God bless the hearing, may God bless the understanding and the obedience of his word today. Moses instructs how a family should deal with a young man that continues in open rebellion. The son will not obey his parents, he's harmful to himself, he's become harmful to his family, and he's threatening harm to his entire society. They've tried to discipline him, but he will not listen to them. And so when the rebellion continues and their efforts remain ineffective, they bring him before the elders of the city, which was the appropriate judicial process in that day. Then they tell the elders what he has done. 
And they describe his rebellion with two terms. He is a drunkard and a glutton. And then they release him to the authority of the elders. And the elders hear the evidence, pass sentence of guilty, or excuse me, pass uh, um, um, whatever you call it when they call him guilty, and sentence him to death. And the sentence serves to protect the family and the society from the terror of his rebellion by purging the evil from among them. This is what we know from reading the passage. But these passages are not easy for us just to acclimate immediately into our culture and our understanding today. So what do we do with them? Well, here's how I want us to approach this. First of all, I'm going to offer three understandings to help us contextualize this passage today so that we can understand it still is very much applicable for us, even though the death penalty for our children's rebellion is not what I'm going to be arguing for. It's very much applicable for us. And then once we have these three understandings, I'm going to make four applications, four encouragements to help us parent through the gospel in our homes. First of all, this understanding needs to be made that this passage addresses a young adult who is responsible for their own actions. This is addressing a young adult who is responsible for their own actions. This is not an out-of-control toddler who refuses to stay in their high chair or won't stop throwing spaghetti on the floor. Okay, That's not what this is talking about. Deuteronomy is addressing as dangerous a young adult that should be taking responsibility but instead rebels to avoid it and is running from it. That's important for us to understand. The second understanding that's important for us today is this. That death as the penalty for rebellion reveals the holy nature of God's law. You need to understand why the law states what it states in the way that it states it. And when I'm talking about the law here, I'm talking about God's law in the Old Testament. This situation describes the breaking of the fifth commandment, which simply states this way in Deuteronomy 5.16, Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You see, we may not think of rebellion as the Bible speaks of it, but as Christians, we should. And what God calls a serious offense of His holiness, we should not think of it as anything less. Death as a penalty, first and foremost, indicates the seriousness of the sin of rebellion. And disobedience to parents, to parents is serious in God's eyes and should be held as serious in the eyes of of his people, Christians. That's important for us to understand today, friends. Because if we can remove that understanding from this passage in the Old Testament, it opens up a world of freedom for us to move away from the authority of God's word in other areas. You see, some are inclined to say that the Old Testament is archaic and irrelevant for Christians because of texts like this. Let me just um, let me give you some forward-looking from this text. First of all, there's no account that this law was ever invoked in Old Testament Israel. I'm not saying it was never used, but that does tell us in the historical record, having an absence of it, that it was so infrequently invoked, if at all, that it was not recorded. 
But Moses addresses young adults who are forsaking their their heritage and becoming a threat to themselves, to their family, and to the society at large. And what God's command does here is it sets a standard of honoring father and mother for all of his people for all times. The Ten Commandments are as binding for you and I today as as, as they have always been. And it would be wrong for us to say, God wrote them a long time ago. We don't have to worry about them today. We absolutely do have to worry about them today. We are held to the standard of the law. And we're going to talk about that, but we can't dismiss that. We can't release that. And so God commands a standard of honoring father and mother And this fifth commandment is the first one that comes with the promise that there is justice not only for those, excuse me, there is forgiveness for those who trust in him and obey, but there is also justice for those who ignore God's commands and God's promises. And Ten Commandments are not conditioned by time or by culture. And so God remains as committed to his commandments and his promises as he was in the day that he gave them. Otherwise, we wouldn't need the Old Testament. The third understanding I want you to have is this. That parental responsibility and parental authority has limits. Has limits. And we understand this. We we understand our limitations, although we don't like them sometimes. And at other times, we wish we could get to them more quickly. I'm sure. You know, if I just didn't have to deal with this, it would be a lot easier, right? But the young adult that is in view threatens not only the reputation of his family, but he threatens the posterity and well-being of their future. If you look at the context of this passage, just before it is a passage that talks about the rights of the firstborn. And in their culture, the firstborn would receive the maximum portion of the inheritance, but it was the responsibility of the firstborn to then use that inheritance to take care of the entire family. So if this specifically is the firstborn young adult of the family who's rebelling in such a way, for the parents not to act is not only just to let that one individual harm themselves, but it's to put the entire family's well-being and then future generations at risk if they don't act to guard the family. And so that helps us to understand this. This law, though, protects the parents to guard the future of their family and the well-being of others against the uncontrollable actions of a rebellious son. And so what we see is that the law shows parental responsibility has limits, and it depends upon a larger civil responsibility among the city. And what grace it is that Deuteronomy limits both the painful responsibility of parents and their power over children as they become Adult. Surely, if you have older children, like out of high school, you understand how limiting your power can be to do good for them. I think most of us would admit that though we don't necessarily like it, that if our child, though, became a public reprobate, a nuisance, harmful, to, not only to himself and his family, but to the city at large, we understand they would get in trouble with the law. Not just God's law but the law of man as well. But surely there's something we can do as Christian parents to lead our children to hopefully avoid that kind of a future for them. 
And so the, the question is posed, how can we lead our children with the responsibility and with the authority that we have been given while they are young to understand how they should honor their parents all of their lives? Well, I would begin by presenting to you that training children begins with the right focus. It's not about what kind of person you want to raise little Johnny to be. Because everybody knows that many people have never raised little Johnny to, and you finished the sentence, but that didn't stop little Johnny from turning out that way, right? I mean, there comes a point when parental responsibility and authority ceases, and that young adult takes responsibility for themselves. And in order to obey the law, we also know this, that the Israelites were not able to obey the law because they needed a new heart. And we need a new heart to obey God's commands as they did. And see, when we receive our new heart through the covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He changes the way we think about who he is, the way we think about who we are, the way we think about who our children are, and the way we think about our parenting of our children. The Bible tells us that Jesus renews our mind. And what I'm laboring for today is a renewed mind from a new heart. You see, all of parenting is about training children to follow one person. And it's not mom or dad. It's Jesus Christ. Honor your father and your mother as you follow Jesus. Can you imagine, young moms, maybe you've been in a playgroup, right? Where y'all hang out at the park on pretty days or... You know, you go to Chuck E. Cheese or whatever and the kids can run crazy and y'all can have some sanity space, you know, and that buffer in between, you think that's heaven? You know, I mean, can you imagine if Mary was part of your mom's group? You wouldn't make it to two sessions. I am not going back for that perfect little Jesus to show up again. I am not putting up with that. I got Jesus and then I got mine. You know what I mean? And so you would be like, I, I can't take this anymore. Even the mommy's group had, doesn't have heaven in it anymore because Jesus showed up. Doesn't do anything wrong, right? You'd be so fed up with that perfect little Jesus kid. Or at least that's the way we think about it. But Scripture really presents a different picture for us. Scripture says there was nothing about Jesus that made anyone think differently or distinctively about him. Let me, let me walk you through some of this. Jesus was disregarded as a child in the same way that he would later be disregarded as the Messiah. Isaiah 53 verses 2 and 3 tells us this, that he was a root out of dry ground. And friends, a root out of dry ground, just the phrase, is anything but noteworthy. Here's what it says. For he grew up before him like a young plant what good is a young plant well you hope it turns into something one day right I mean it doesn't have often doesn't even have leaves on it let alone being producing fruit or anything like that but it goes on to say this about him and like a root out of dry ground makes you thirsty just read it and here's what the prophet Isaiah says of him we esteemed him not John 1 says, he was in the world, he created the world, but everything in the world did not recognize him when he was here. One verse describes his birth. One verse. 
Luke chapter 2, verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for him in the end. I promise you, if they had known it was the king of kings, somebody else would have been in the stable that night. But they didn't. They didn't. The only record of Jesus that might be misconstrued as disobedient as a young man occurred when his parents could not find him at the temple. And this is recorded at the end of Luke chapter 2. And it tells us that after three days they found him in the temple. Really? Mary, Joseph, three days? What kind of mom and dad is that? I left little Johnny at Walmart yesterday. I'm going to pick him up on Thursday. Three days. But listen. Listen to what Luke is saying. After three days. Verse 46 says. What does that remind you of? Do you hear something there? They found him in the temple. There's so much promise in that verse right there, friends. But nobody knew it. Even the scholars, the rabbis, what did they find him doing? He was schooling the rabbis. He had all the scholars, all the theologians in a corner on their heels begging for mercy. They were so thankful for mom and dad to show up and get this 12-year-old Jesus out of the room, you know. They all looked like fools. Not, that's maybe a little preacherizing it. Nonetheless, After three days, they found him in the temple schooling the rabbis. You see, Jesus was disregarded because he was common and unfamiliar. Listen to Matthew 13, 55 to 57. Here's what they said about him. Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? He's just common. But listen to verse 57. They took offense at him. What? What's there to be offended by if he's so common, right? And yet they did. Jesus, friends, is the perfect son who perfectly fulfilled every law. And yet he won no awards for this on earth. You know, I think there's a point of application that I need to insert in this. We live in a world that so pressure packs our kids, it's like they've got to cure cancer before they can get accepted to college. I just think there's something wrong with that. I just think we've put something on our kids that's not true, that's not right. Why can't a kid be a kid and just be common? Why why, why wouldn't that be enough? And yet we, we, as a parent, I know even in my own heart, man, if you don't do this, that kid will never survive. And I want the best for my kids. But if I took to heart everything I'm told my kid must accomplish before they get out of high school, my kids are going to horribly fail in this world. I have to realize the world lies. Jesus never lies. And though all that he didn't do, that didn't win him the accolades in the world, if you will, in perfectly fulfilling the law. It did perfectly prepare him to become the only atoning sacrifice 
for eternity. That says a lot about our priorities right there, doesn't it, parents? What we need to be focused on. You see, Jesus honored his parents. Even on the cross, in his last few moments when his breaths were fleeting and had to come by fighting for them, he honored his mother. He was accused of all that the rebellious son of Deuteronomy 21 was accused of. He was accused of being a glutton. He was accused of eating with sinners. He was accused of being a drunkard. Yet none of these things were true. And the people who made the accusation knew they weren't true, but knew that they were trying to say he didn't fulfill the law when they had no other obvious way to accuse him. But the Hebrews tells us that he was without sin. Jesus perfectly obeyed his heavenly father. Philippians 2 said that that he did not consider equality with God something to to be grasped and to use as a reason to argue with his father. Hey, I'm God too. You can't make me do this. But rather, what did he say? He said he humbled himself, became obedient to become a man. And as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto death upon a cross. John 17, he says, I've done everything my father's told me to do. He blessed every place he ministered. He never threatened any person. But what did the people cry of him? Crucify him. Crucify him. Few situations are more painful and difficult to watch than a corrupt justice system knowingly condemning, convicting, sentencing, and executing a proven innocent person but that's what happened to Jesus we don't look to Joseph and Mary though as perfect parents I mean after all it was three days you know let's be honest Mary that you could have done a little better on that one Joseph loser we don't look to them as perfect parents because we can't raise perfect children we don't first need a strong example We need a Savior. We need a Savior. And friends, Jesus, He is the perfect Son who died to save the rebellious Son by faith and to redeem Him for obedience to honor His Father and His Mother. That's the point that the law is pointing us to. You see, Jesus was perfected through obedience as a firstborn son that he might become the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sinful rebellion. Jesus was innocent, yet he stood condemned and crucified so that we who stand guilty of rebellion could be set free by faith. Jesus was the firstborn son who took on all of our rebellion in his death so that he could give to us all of his glory in life. He was the perfect son who died like a rebellious son so that every rebellious son could live like the perfect son. And when we stand condemned to death by the law in our rebellion, Jesus, the perfect completer and fulfiller of the law, stands ready to forgive us in love. What an exchange. You don't have to stand before the world condemned and guilty in your sin. In Jesus, you can stand before the Heavenly Father forgiven, justified, and free. 
What a beautiful picture. Jesus is the perfect son who left his throne in glory to die so that rebellious people could live and receive an inheritance that they had already squandered in sin. Dad and mom, you and I are rebellious children raising rebels. Rebellious children raising rebels. But Jesus, the perfect son, obeyed unto death to save every rebellious child who by faith would trust in him. That's what I want you to hear today, mom and dad. That's what I want you to hear today if you're a son or a daughter in the room. This eternal truth remains for us today that obeying one's parents is serious to God. Therefore, it ought to be serious to us. And Jesus is the only hope for a rebel like me. Jesus is the only hope for a rebel like you. Jesus is the only hope for a rebel like our children. Parents can train their children to honor father and mother by God's truth in the gospel today. And I want to offer you four encouragements to apply the gospel in your parenting. The first encouragement that I want to offer for you today is just simply this. Be careful not to condition your thinking or to condone in your children to think that rebellion is acceptable. Rebellion means sinfulness against God and against His Word. And rebellion condoned as cute in a young child can become selfishness coddled to dangerous proportions in a young adult. The smallest spark of rebellion that is sure to be present may inflame the greatest wildfire of rebellion if not addressed through godly discipline. Parents, shape your parental expectation by God's word because here's what happens. Expectations determine our allowances and our allowances train our children in their values and their priorities and priorities guide their decisions that determine the direction in which we lead our child and in leading our child, train them to walk. And my words to you, my encouragement is to set God's word as your parenting standard to train your children by. I want to talk about adolescence for just a moment. Adolescence, according to psychologytoday.com, is defined in this way. Adolescence describes the teenage years between 13 and 19 and can be considered the transitional stage from childhood to adulthood. Well, that sounds like a long time, does it not? It can be a time of both disorientation and discovery. Mom, I'm just disoriented. I'm discovering. Cut me some slack. Right, man, I wish I'd had like this kind of definition when I was those ages. You know, I would have used them to the fullest extent before my mom said no. I would have, and it can bring up issues of independence and self-identity. Can I get an amen from any parents dealing with a little too much independence right now? Not if your child's three. I'm not talking about that, right? Well, sure it can. 
Sure it can. Many face tough choices regarding schoolwork and sexuality and drugs and alcohol and social life. And the list continues to grow. Peer groups and romantic interest and external appearance tend to naturally increase in importance for some time during a teen's journey toward adulthood. Listen, friends, here's what I want to say about this. I don't want to just call it hogwash outright, but I'm going to get real close to that. What it's done is it's conditioned our thinking towards an allowance of our children. I'm not denying that children exist between the ages of 13 and 19. And I'm not denying that they experience these things. But I am saying we do not have to give them over to what the world would sell to them in the midst of this time of their life. That there is a greater glory, a greater purpose. And there is one who has a greater power for them to live. And we should not put them on hold until they grow up and get out of the house lest they end up before the city elders at the gate. Adolescence means that we've prolonged childhood with a contemporary construct that encourages immaturity and expects an allowed rebellion. Well, they're just going to be kids. And that's why you're mom and dad. They didn't make you mom and dad. God made you mom and dad. So listen to God and what he wants you to do and what he wants you to be and don't let them bend you down and be a leverage point to destroy you. That's my encouragement for you today. Well, I feel encouraged. We're not finished yet. We're not finished yet. I'm not arguing for or against the validity of this construct called adolescence. Nor would I say that teens don't Teens don't face pressures. But here's what I say, that Christians, that, that Christian parents guard against ways of thinking that excuse, that rationalize, that make allowance for and encourage rebellion, not only in us, but in our children as well. Two recent illustrations demonstrate parental thinking that encourages and trains in this rebellion. Maybe you heard just a couple of weeks ago about Chicago's Jackie Robinson West Little League team. They won the 2014 U.S. Championship. I don't know, they're, they're boys somewhere between the ages of 10 and 14, I think. In that age, I don't know the exact one. But it was, their championship was stripped of them when the league proved that the coaches cheated, knowingly breaking the rules. And so here you have this ball team who had the celebration of winning the championship in their league, and it's taken from them because their coaches cheated, knowingly cheated. Losing the championship, though, is not the worst that took place there. Training young men to cheat is destructive to their character. There was another article that broke a couple of weeks ago locally. is a news leader article. It told about high schoolers who showed up at a dance drunk. They knew this because one of the high schoolers was near passed out, huddled up on the floor against the wall. That's typically not the position that they take at a dance. But when confronted and questioned, there was a rented limo in the parking lot with the other students that had sacks of alcohol in it. And when the police questioned them about where they got the alcohol, they admitted to the police that one of their parents provided it for them. 
I know parents too that did that. I went to the parties where parents bought it. Here's my point. Don't do that. That's one of my points. That's dumb. That's another point. I got all kinds of points, but you get my point on that. Our frame of thinking needs to be redeemed if we're going to train our children to follow Jesus. Parents, prepare your child from day one to take responsibility for their lives. Begin by teaching them what God's Word says about sin. Guard against any excuses or rationalizing or allowing that encourages your thinking about your children or your children's thinking about how they live to be rebellious towards God's Word. Christians train children to love and obey Jesus at all and any cost because He alone is worthy of obedience. The second encouragement I want to give you today is this. I want to encourage you to take courage to not cover up rebellion and to act wisely not to encourage greater rebellion. Did you hear that? There is an assumption that rebellion will exist. I'm not pie in the sky preaching over your heads today. I'm a living testimony that rebellion will exist. But that doesn't mean you must cave to it. Take courage not to cover it up and to act wisely not to encourage greater amounts. A child who never gets disciplined Hear this, a child who never gets disciplined with strong rebuke for wrongdoing and correction for loving reconciliation. They may attend church every day of their life, but they will still fail to comprehend the point of Jesus' death as anything other than a recognition that he deserved it and they don't. A child who is led to believe that they don't have sin in their life will wonder why Jesus had to die and everybody's so happy about it. Man, look at me. Right? Y'all talking about somebody that lived perfectly and died. I don't have any death dreams, but look at me. Right? Why? Because they don't have any concept of sin in their life. It's been glossed over. It takes courage for a parent to get over what I call parental laziness. And listen, you know how many parents are struck with parental laziness? All of us. Only those who have children. Right? Why? Because we have to fight our own sin to enter the war of parenting their sin. It takes courage to, for a parent to get over this parental laziness, to confront rebellion in their child, and, and to apply biblical discipline. Biblical discipline is hard. You, it, it's hard. And ignored rebellion, what it does is it casts a multitude of seed within the life of the one who's rebelling that will begin to produce more and greater rebellion. So teach your children to confess sin in their life by the truth of God's Word. In other words, sin is what? What God's Word says sin is, not just what you feel like it ought to be. Teach them to confess, agree with God's Word about what is sin, and to repent in the hope of the gospel for Jesus' forgiveness, not hoping that He might forgive you, but that He is your only hope to get forgiveness for that sin. 
Let me give you a, a formula, if, if I can, for Christian discipline. Rebuke and sometimes punishment for wrongdoing plus correction for God's, uh, by God's truth plus, do not forget this one, this is the one most, most often forsaken, parental love pointing to Jesus. That's Christian discipline right there. Rebuke, correction, parental love pointing to Jesus. That's Christian discipline. You see, rebellion is no less damaging today than in any day prior. The writer of Proverbs knew this and likely had the command, this very command from Deuteronomy 21 in mind when he wrote, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. What's the writer saying? I believe what God's law says, and you should too. But there is hope. Jesus is our hope. The seriousness of rebellion against the holiness of God should motivate Christian parents to discipline their children in training them to follow Jesus. Family relationships continue to be important for Christians today. I don't have to, uh, I, I don't have to explain that or try to motivate you to believe that at all. But Paul teaches that. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, Paul quotes the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. And he says this, that means for, as children, you to obey them. You see, dishonoring parents remains a capital offense against God's holiness. And that alone should inform, should influence, and should inspire Christian parenting. You see, in instituting the death penalty for your children, that is not my point today. I'm not trying to argue for you to accept the fact that, hey, look, if they mess up, you just got to let them go. You know, and I'm not trying to say that, but this is my point. That understanding as a parent, the death penalty as a just sentence reveals for the Christian that death or sin from which it comes is the state of being from which we act when we live in rebellion. When you see the rebellion in your child, when you see the rebellion in your own heart, you're living out of sin. You're living out of death. You are not living the, the life that God redeemed you and saved you to live. So when you see that rebellion in your child, you are seeing the very root and fruit of sin in their life. And that is what God is, by His grace, has given you the authority and the responsibility to labor, to root out for them when they will not see it for themselves. The third encouragement that I want to give you is this. Be careful that your sin does not stop you from parenting the fight against your child's sin. Be careful that your sin does not stop you from parenting the fight against your child's sin. You will only make Jesus your child's hope when the truth of God's word and the gospel is first your hope. And whatever you say to try to convince them to make it their hope when it's not your hope, that does not pass the sniff test. They see you and they call you. It's a bluff. They will not follow it. Friends, you are training your children in something. What is it? Trust Jesus for personal forgiveness and cleansing as you discipline your children in his wisdom and in his truth. And the same gospel that saves and redeems rebellious parents is the only power that gives any hope to save and redeem rebellious children. 
Train your children to follow Jesus by, hear me, walking alongside them. God does this on purpose. Every time I preach on something, he gives me a personal illustration the day or two before. And he gave me a big one yesterday. I didn't tell at the first service because she was in here, but man, I blew up on my daughter yesterday for nothing. Well, because my wife was at the ladies' retreat, and like that puts pressure on men. Amen, guys? I mean, I can see men today. They're just relieved. Oh, mama's home. Life is good. <laughs> right? I did. I blew up on her for nothing. If I told you, you, you would have my head if I told you what for. Five minutes later, I'm going, God, I don't want to go in there and apologize to her. I go sit down and I look at my daughter. I said, baby, daddy was wrong. You didn't do anything. I was wrong. I'm so sorry. Broke my heart. Because I would kill the fool that spoke to my daughter that way. Train your children to follow Jesus by walking alongside them in the gospel. Parents often live out of fear and insecurity through what I'd call a parental reflex intuition to protect their child. The fear of thinking that your child isn't perfect drives you to act to defend their imperfections. Do you hear that? The fear of thinking that your child isn't perfect, which is a truth that you know about them, you are their mother and dad, right? But it drives you to act to defend their imperfections. It's the same reason we put on masks. Because we know who we really are, but we don't want anybody else to know that. We want somebody to think about us the way we know is not true of us. And it is true of the way we parent our children as well. And when that instinct causes you to guard them against any recognition of sin or brokenness in their life, you damage them by creating an alternate reality built on false hopes that neither you can sustain nor they can live up to. That's what you do for them. And they'll believe you. They'll follow you because you're mom and dad. Why would you lie to them? And you do it because you love them. But what's happening is you're allowing sin to drive your fears and insecurities in the way you're parenting them. Parents, understand that your child's rebellion attacks God's holiness. See it for this. If you believe God's word, then it's not a matter of if, but when rebellion appears. Christian parents identify and confess a child's rebellion as what God's word says it is, and that is sin. And faith in Jesus means that we guard vigilantly by watching for it in both their attitude and their action. Then we train our children to confess and repent so that they experience the joy of Jesus in obedience and gratitude even before they fully understand. Even before they fully understand. Listen to this. Proverbs 22.6 says this, and if you're a parent, you are probably very familiar with this verse. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and what? Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. That is both a promise, but not a guarantee. Right? But hear me when I say this. A child trained to know true joy in Jesus will not be long satisfied in the false promises and pleasures of the world. They may drink from that fountain occasionally, but they will know that that water is 
tepid and putrid. They will not return to that fountain continually when they have drunk from the living water. That's the only hope we have as parents is to teach them to feast at the Lord's table so they don't have to try to live off of all the nibbles that they catch off the ground in the world. The fourth encouragement I give to you is this. Excuse me. Humble yourselves to build other people around to help you train your children. Teach your children that though the world may offer many false pleasures and enticements, there are people who can help them resist sin's lies. And if they refuse, there will also be people who will apply sin's consequences through judgment. Train your children to pursue and to trust godly people to help them fight their sin. And these people ought to be fairly normal and natural because they should be surrounding you to fight your own. Parents, be, be, be careful not to guard your kids against someone else correcting them. I see this so often today. Man, it creates such a, an electricity in the air of tension. You need help and you need to pursue help from others for your own heart, but also for your kids' help. Man, when I was growing up, it was open season on my rear end from my parents. I mean, I know this was another generation ago, and it's not like this, but let me tell you, I was dragged out of church by every woman over the age of 25, twisting my ear and hauling me off balance down the side wall of the church. And had my dad not been preaching, he would have been applauding. We would go to elementary school those first five or six years and we would meet the teacher and oh, here's little Laney. I, I know, little Laney knew. They knew my reputation. They talked to the teacher from the year before. They were not looking forward to little Laney in their room. But here's what Lawrence and Donna would say. You whip that boy if he does something and you call us and we'll come down here and do the same. Have mercy on little Laney, mama and daddy. It was open season on my rear end. And let me, let me tell you, if I had been born a generation later, I'd be a rich man from punitive damage settlements. But I would not be a better man. Set your sights on some godly people that are one, two, three steps in front of you in parenting. Practice humility, mom and dad, by pursuing these people to talk about your challenges and about your struggles. And listen, if you find one that's perfect, run. The wise ones know they weren't perfect, right? Ask them to pray with you and listen to their godly wisdom and do what they offer to you. Don't give in to whining about or to whining at your children. Be the parent and remind them they are the children. Listen, you're not a parent just because you chose to be one. You're a parent because God ordains moms and dads. And if you can't hold the position out of your own personal desire, then stand in it because of what God says about it. And be the mom, be the dad, and be the parent. And remind your child that one day, but not today, you may get to be one if you survive today. Seriously. You are God-ordained in your role. Do not lightly take that. I remember... 
As a freshman in college, I was so looking forward to going to college. Man, I was going to get away, and I was going to have my own life, so I went a whole hour and a half away from home, you know. I was going to flex my wings and fly. And about two months into my freshman year, my, my, uh, the, the fall semester of my freshman year of college, about two months in, I woke up on a Sunday morning, and I was near destitute. I'd only been to church a couple of times And I was used to going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesdays, and then all the days in between just to make sure. But I woke up that Sunday morning and got in my car and went to get something to eat and came back to the dorm room. And I mean, there was a darkness in me. And I realized I needed those people. They were some messed up people. They were imperfect and and whack, and, but I needed Christian fellowship. So that next Sunday, I got in my car. And you know what I did? I went and started looking at churches. That government, if I didn't find a one of them that didn't have some perfect people in it. But I found one that loved me. And do you know how they began to love me? In the same way that those women loved me when they twisted my ear and pulled me out of the church. In the same way that those parents of other friends of mine loved me when they would confront me seeing something in my life that wasn't right. But they would still love me. They would welcome me. They would encourage me. I loved to be with them. And for the first year of my college life, that church became a source of strength for me. A refuge for me to run to. Why? Because I had been trained to pursue other people you need them parenting's hard but we should not lose hope every child is a rebel except for Jesus I'm that rebellious son and if the elders of the city said you're guilty you die by stoning I wouldn't have one whit of evidence to prove otherwise I'd have to agree But Jesus would say this, I'll die for him. I'll take what he did and I'll give to him what I've done. Jesus is the perfect son who died to save the rebellious child and to redeem them for obedience to honor their father and their mother. As the worship team returns, can I just uh, lead us in a prayer? Parents, do not try to raise a perfect child because no measure of perfect parenting will ever produce a perfect child. And there's already been one who died to give everything necessary to your child for godliness. All you need to do is train them to follow Jesus. Jesus is the way that a child should be trained to go. And listen, if you're here today and you don't have kids, can I make a request of you? Help a brother or a sister out. Amen, parents? Especially if you've got kids that are gone now. I had someone come up to me after after church, uh, uh, the first service, and said, you know, we, we love being around here. We don't have kids at home anymore, but... We love all the young families here. And my words to them were, help us. We don't know what we're doing. 
We need that. Parents, don't forget this one promise. Philippians 1.6 says this. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know that verse is not explicitly addressing parenting. But I also know this. That children are a good thing from God. His word says so. And if he gave them, he will bring them to completion if you will point them to him. Can I pray for us? Lord Jesus, we need your help. Parenting is hard. Bearing the weight of responsibility for our children is overwhelming. It's crushing to think about. We love our kids. But Lord, we do not want to love them in a way that does anything other than lead them to you. Now Lord, I know at a time like this, everything we've done wrong in the past floods back into our memory. And I just simply want to encourage us before the throne of God this morning that if a memory comes and if it washes over you, would you just lift it to the Father and say to Him, God, I know I'm not perfect in this area. I I admit that I was wrong in that area. Whatever it is, just repent of it and turn away from it so He can remove it from you, cleanse it from you. And you can focus on what He wants to say to you today. All your past mistake, parents, are not the point today. All of Jesus' finished work on the cross is. And His grace is sufficient for all of your sins, for all of your children's sins. Would you trust Him today? If you want to come to the altar and pray, you're welcome to do that. There'll be an elder who will pray with you here. Friends, don't walk away from this time without asking God to speak and to do a powerful work in our hearts. Let us train our children to go in the way of Jesus because that is the way we are going. Let's stand together as we respond to Him.